Hi, from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring Philip Beverly from Chicago State University, Democrat Michael Carbonaggi, Republican Stephanie Hitt, and Republican Josh Cantrell. Our program tonight coming to Palm Base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289, 1-800-723-8289. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at DUMO, at D-U-M-O. Of course, you can join us also live on our website, beyondthebeltway.com, and if you miss it on a Sunday night, you can find it there forever. But, of course, we are also live on Facebook at Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont and also live around the world on YouTube. So, again, it's nice to have you with us. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. We're in Chicago. Everybody is in the spirit, or at least none of our guests are in the spirit. <laughs> well, other than myself. I'm trying. I was amazed yeah. that the Sunday morning shows, not, not one of the moderators yeah. wore a green tie or anything. So I decided... I'm going to outdo him with a green sweater tonight. So nice to have you with us. Uh, For those listening to us on radio, yes, indeed, I am wearing a green sweater. Um, uh, It's been a tragic week with with this outburst of violence in New Zealand. Fifty dead uh, as a result of the crazed actions of a 28-year-old gunman. We're going to talk about it. We're not naming his name, but we're going to be talking a great deal about it this evening. The president of the United States was asked to respond to it earlier in the week, and obviously that response has created somewhat of a controversy because they, some people felt he did not go far enough. But here's the question, and here is the president's response. When it was speaking of words, here's the president being asked about the issue of white supremacy and the, and the, and the mass murder uh, in New Zealand. We see today white nationalism rising threat around the world. I don't really. I think it's a uh, small group of people that have very, very serious problems. I guess if you look at what happened in New Zealand, perhaps that's a case. But the- Philip Everly, do you think it's a small group of people around the world? You're a Democrat, but uh, obviously every action that they take, or most actions that they take, lives are lost, there is violence, there is media coverage... How widespread is it? I don't know that, that the actual perpetrators of the violence are that large a group. What I'm more concerned about is, is enablers who may just wring their hands and, and not want to acknowledge or say, oh, well, they're just extremists, and if we ignore them, they'll go away. The, I think it has to be confronted and confronted directly. When the Department of Homeland Security cut funding to combat white nationalists and white extremism, um, last year in 2017, that that was a little problematic for me because I thought, okay, are we not getting some clues here? And I think that you know the the incidents that we've had here, the the synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh, speaks to that. Uh, Josh Cantrell, what is your reaction to this? You're one of our card-carrying conservatives tonight. I, it's a horrible tragedy, and uh, whatever needs to be done to confront it should be done. What does that mean? Well, I'm thinking about uh, social media sites and the ability of somebody sitting in their basement to spread violence. That's a problem, and I don't think there's enough of a discussion about 
what we do about that. Um, and, I, and we're talking about extremism. There's extremism on the left. There's extremism on the right. And we as a society, whether it's the gov- governments, but also these tech companies, need to figure out a way to – we're not going to stop it but at least uh, mitigate it. Michael Carbonaggi is one of our Democrats tonight. Michael, nice to have you with us. Great being here. Your reaction to the question, I mean, how widespread do you think this is? I think it's starting to build upon itself. The fact that these shooters and the New Zealand shooting had painted the names of other white supremacists who had also committed uh, murder and attacks. They had the names of uh, Dylan Roof, from the Charleston shooting. They had the names of the Synagogue of Life shooters from Pittsburgh. They had the names of the Sikh Temple shooters in Wisconsin. It feeds upon itself, and they listen to each other. Josh's point is absolutely correct. What used to be in these dark corners of the Internet now gets brought out in the daylight, and when the president and others qualify uh, and say perhaps maybe small minimizing we need to attack it head on. Um, you know, Do you more- think he minimalized it in his response? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we, the statistics show off from the Department of Justice and from state AGs. Seventy-five percent of the, these attacks come from white nationalists. They don't come from radical Islam or ISIS in this country. And that's another point, too, we've got to talk about, which is, are we using our resources to fight this in the right way? Stephanie Hitt, or other Republican, your reaction? Well, you know, I... I, I, I this is the, you know, cynic in me, and that is that... Um, I think our president has very clearly denounced this kind of violence and these kind of things. The problem is that we have a media that wants him to um, to react in a different way, maybe in a more emotional or more strident or um, more angry, more ca- – you know, there's something that the media is expecting him to respond in a way well, that they, is not national. They, want him they felt to, this way after Charlottesville as well. They want him to denounce yes. in a very strong way because it is their perception that within the, the Trump coalition, yeah. there's a strain of people who, who are extreme and they would not have voted for Donald Trump. And the fear is that if Donald Trump were to come out and really lambast them, that maybe they will go another way. But, but Is that ha- realistic? Yeah, yeah, but he I, has. He has denounced them. He these has people. denounced them. I mean, nothing not to that many he people's says. liking, though. But in not, sh- to the media. yeah, not to the media's life. In Charlottesville, he said there were very fine people on both sides. I got to tell you, if you're a Nazi, can't really be very fine people there. But, I, but I, Phil, let me and, ask you. And I, I just, I, there's just something. When did it okay become okay after World War II, for example, to be a Nazi and just be like, oh, yeah, that's cool in, in the United but, but States? But he, he wasn't referring to Nazis. I agree with you, Phil. Yeah. It's not cool to be a Nazi. I'm Jewish. So I'm, I'm completely <laughs> in agreement with you there. But what the president was saying was that there were fine people on both sides. He was talking about the people who didn't want the statutes taken down. Right. Okay. Well, that now, is, but that's not what he said. Now, now I, that's I, not what the media would let him say. Let's well, be honest. Well, about he's, that. He, he, Donald Trump has no problem communicating for himself via Twitter directly. Directly, absolutely. And I would say also, Bruce. Let's say, remember what he uh, he did. The president did offer his words of condolences to the uh, New Zealand Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. In response, she asked him to say nicer and better things more often about the Islam about Islam, uh, mm-hmm. Muslims in America. Mm-hmm. I think today would be great if he didn't play golf at, at Mar-a-Lago. If he'd been in a mosque. If he 
would go with the Muslim community today and share in their sorrow. Uh, we had a large number of rallies today here, or memorial ceremonies uh, here in Chicago. It would be great if he would find uh, a, a, a mosque to go to in Virginia. I think that would send the right message. And hopefully, as people are telling them that, that these optics matter. Well, I, I think going to a mosque would be a great idea, but I, I can imagine him being criticized for that. Oh, he's this is political opportunism or something like that. But I agree with you. I'd love to see him go to a mosque like my wife did last night. Yeah. 1-800-723-8029. I'm Bruce Dumont. We'll continue with your respi- response when we roll on from Chicago. Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth and speaking our minds, not just making records, but breaking them, leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen, not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Back in Chicago, continuing our discussion, I want to I want to kind of uh, zero in on on uh, the internet and, and and how we treat people who have strong political beliefs. Because the last uh, three or four weeks in this program, we've been talking about Semitism, either real or perceived, uh, by members of Congress. That's been something that's been near and dear to your heart. Talking about uh, denouncing it, uh, Josh. But. There are people who are listening to this program this evening who live in the United States of America. They believe in freedom, but they may not like Jews. They may not like black people. They may not like Muslims. Do they have a right to their beliefs, Josh? They have a right to not like other groups. I mean... I, I, these are not people I would want to associate with or be friends with. I consider, or would they want to associate with you? Right, right. That that that's absolutely true. But they have a right to their beliefs, and we have something in this country called uh, called the the you, you know the First Amendment. But the critical part is that they can't act on their beliefs. They can't act on their beliefs in a way that foments that's right. violence, that's and right. that's right. that's Harms. the problem. That's the yeah. that's the real challenge. Well, Absolutely. Um, I, I am, as you know, a First Amendment guy, yeah. having no. <laughs> uh, been involved in a federal lawsuit around First Amendment rights. And believe what you will and know you don't get to incite violence. You don't get to walk into a synagogue and kill 12 people. You don't get to walk into a mosque and kill 50 okay, people that's true, but and say, back to my question. it's just my beliefs. If there are people in the country who don't like black people. 
how far can their rights go? For them to say whatever they want to say. In a public place. They have the right to speech. They have the right to assembly. They right. have the right to publish and promote what they want. But That's the right. problem you get is Charlottesville. The far left and the far right both showed up on the same street to yell at each other at the top of their lungs. And if you're a police officer on the side, you know that you're in the middle of a tinderbox. They have a right to assemble. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Or march. I mean, Pe- peacefully. Let's, they have this, a right. Yeah. Peacefully. Pardon they, me. Peacefully. They have a right to point. assemble on the Internet. Stephanie. Um, as of now, yes, they do. That is one what of the What do you personally free- think about is- that? What do you personally think who- about providing a platform well, there's people- a difference between providing a platform, and um, I personally would not want to. I think that there's a, a, a marketplace that will determine whether they want to be providers for those hate-filled platforms. But we all know that you go down a very dangerous, very slippery slope when we start um, editing content of words. And, you know, I, I often explain this to my children is one of the things, and I think a lot of millennials today, for example, forget that what was one of the biggest things was Nazis wanted to march in Skokie. That was huge. That was one of the seminal First Amendment occasions in this country. And, you know, we allowed that because what was clear was we allow freedom of speech, ideas, whatever, assembly, um, because we believe in the goodness of men and women to understand good ideas versus bad ideas. And we cannot, we, we're, we're not allowed to censor those. And so what's important is let the hatred be seen for what it is. And, and actually, in, in that mo- moment, um, as hateful it, as it is to have Nazis marching in Skokie, um, you know, much good came out of that. For example, there's a wonderful Holocaust museum that was built, born completely out of that. But, but if, if you are providing space for them to deliver on what they right. believe is their free speech right, you can do that. there's a possibility that there is not someone there that is challenging them on what they have to say. And what you have is a group of followers or friends that, that friend you on Facebook. We have that now. And we have that now. Yes, we do. And, and, and a lot of Facebook, whether it has nothing to do with controversial stuff, people who are friends of people on Facebook tend to agree with what that person has to say. Right. So my question is, if someone you know, hates blacks or hates Jews and they go out there and they start spewing it, does that person need to be shut down by anybody? You're a free speech guy, Phil. No, you can't. You can't. So you what, can't what, shut that down. What? Can, all right, can you soften it in some way? How do you soften it? So, are you talking about soften the producer or the reader? The Both. producer of the content. Both. Well, we were talking before the producers of the content. Now, and I'm going to step back. When it comes to the internet. We're in the early days of figuring out how to regulate it. The law always catches up with technology, Mm -hmm. whether it's print, TV, radio, Internet. 
copyright law, IP law, it's always catching up with the technology. And I think now the fact that the left, the right, Democrats and Republicans are looking at this going, we need to have some sort of discussion of what the law is going to be. I think on the reader, people are very nervous. They're, they're very nervous about saying, I don't want the government stepping in to say what I read. I don't want them taking books off the shelf at the library, and I don't want them letterboxing websites. However, if you're Facebook, you no longer get to say, well, we're just simply an aggregator. We don't have a newsroom. We don't have editors. We don't have reporters. I think those days are evolving into something new. Whether they want to do it on their own or they're told to do it, we'll see. Well, Facebook has a responsibility. There's no question about it. And Facebook doesn't have enough staff to to deal with this because this guy was live streaming for 17 minutes. Right. And what about having some sort of delay, perhaps? Um, There's got to be more of a discussion about how to regulate. But the delay in that case might only have delayed police responding to it. He was still doing it. So it's, it's more than, I mean, the concept of a delay sounds pretty good. I mean, they have that on talk radio. But after a while, I mean, 17 minutes on Facebook, you're, you could be talking to, you know, tens of millions of people. Well, I mean, you can, you can start to, you know, hedge around the edges of that. What is it? You know, I, I think on the radio, is it generally like a seven-second delay or something seven like that? Um, you know, you, maybe you have a minute delay to determine, okay, is this going to be a live rampage or is this just a video clip from a movie? Um, and so there are ways. I think there, there are ways they can do it in a way that still would enable, um, you know, police and first responders to do their job. Also, and this is, it's going to go a step further. We're not just talking about the live streaming. We're asking Facebook to start sifting through to see what's being posted as they, they told people they were going to be live streaming. So there's, there is warnings and advance information that we're going to be at. People are going to be asking Facebook to look through. Let's go deeper than that. If you have someone who's out there who the, the president described, you know, these, these people are sick. I mean, the, the point is there are a lot of people in this country uh, and around the world who don't like blacks, don't like Jews, don't like Muslims. Right. They, don't, they fear them. But what gets in their mind, it might be moved by something they've read or seen on Facebook. Right. But for the most part... It's something that they have in their head and in their hearts. Well, that, yeah. that, that, that's true. And How do you get to that? Well, that, 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 that we're trying to figure that out. That's evil. I don't, that's I, I don't know that you, you even try to get to that. Because it, it seems as though if you pathologize that, that behavior, it, one of the things, or that belief system, you're making people wrong. And... You're you're saying to them that there's something about you that, that about you as a human being that's unacceptable, and that drives that further and further into the shadows, right? And it's looking for some sort of expression. It needs some expression so that sunlight can disintegrate it, if if you will, right? Because it's they, not going to survive scrutiny. But they they feel shunned because an authority figure has made them feel shunned. Is there something other than an authority figure that can be speaking out on these things? We've talked about religious leaders. I mean, re- religious leaders try to do it. Pop culture. Pop culture is un- unbelievably um, influential. Um, and I was going to add, too, I also, you know, 
to be consistent, we probably should quit saying that some are sick when they commit these violent acts. The idea that there's an illness. I mean, so, some are just bigots and racists. No, that's right. And, 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 there, and, and there's some no are just evil. Let's not give right them mind. the excuse. The, 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 the New Zealand shooter had a GoPro and a body cam and had a, from what all intents or purposes looks like, a pretty well thought out rational yes. plan here. That doesn't show mental illness. Dylan Roof, who shot up the Charleston church, they, he tried a mental illness and they looked right. at the planning involved. They're like, that's yeah. not a mentally sick mind. No. That's a hate filled mind, and we're not going to use hate as some sort of defense. You're just a common criminal or murderer. That's right. But this is a, this is a discussion that we've been having in this country Absolutely. ever since it was founded. And we haven't been able to figure it out. And now we have social media, we have the internet. And all of that, which is just speeding this up. And you're right. The law eventually does catch up with technology, but it's taken a long time here. And also keep in mind what Walter Cronkite called Lee Harvey Oswald, just a loser. He didn't go into the analysis of separated from his wife, alcohol problem, discharged from the Army. He just said he was a loser. Let's not spend a lot of time going over the background of what got him here today. And the Warren Commission looked at the other mechanics of how he got the gun and what have you. But at the time, they just your point. And John Wilkes Booth was a loser. A lot of these guys are losers. The media has been doing that. I mean, many, many stations will not use names. Absolutely. They will not do anything that will glorify or in any way promote these people. And they're catching up to that. It's relatively yeah. new. Yeah. But really, yeah. since in, Columbine. In this particular case, you know, they're, not, they're not even showing his face. They're blowing no, out the exactly. face. No, exactly. They don't, don't want to make these heroes or martyrs. I mean, his, his name has been mentioned, but again, uh, he also uh, based on, on what he's had to say, uh, he had some things, uh, a reference in this 180 page. Uh, I think it was 180 pages. Yeah. 80 pages. It's a lot. It's still too, mu- too long. It's a lot. <laughs> but much. it was this screed against. Uh, Everything. Against everything. the world, against everything. And, and there was one reference in there to Donald Trump. I want to come back and talk about it when we return. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8029, live tonight on St. Patrick's Day from Chicago. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt in in its its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Back in Chicago with our four guests this evening, and we're going to take a moment and let them introduce themselves. And we are going to be uh, beginning with Mike Carbonacci. Thanks. I'm Mike Cabanargi. I'm commissioner of the Cook County Board of Review. Prior to that, I was a senior attorney with the SEC in Chicago, and I used to work for Senator Dick Durbin and Senator Paul Simon. 
And in the race for mayor, you are supporting Tony Preckwinkle, Tony Preckwinkle who is the mm. president of the Cook County Board. And we go to Stephanie Hitt. I'm Stephanie Hitt. I'm a Republican activist. I am a reformed attorney. Um, and uh, I live in the uh, very, very strong Democratic ho- stronghold of Evanston. So I'm like a uh, lone wolf. What is a reformed lawyer? What does that that mean? means I no longer practice, and what I, did you I practice? put those. What, what I, I, I well, my, my, I cut my first teeth in the office of Rudy Giuliani at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan, Southern District, and then um, I went into private practice and did employment law before becoming a uh, eventually a division attorney for IBM. Okay. Stephanie, it sounds like it's an AA meeting when you say that. My name's Stephanie, and I used to be a lawyer. And we all well, go, and I noticed Stephanie. I'm sitting here with some attorneys, and uh, well, you need some help. Welcome. Thanks, Bruce. I'm an uh, associate professor of political science at Chicago State University and have done for a bit more than 27 years. Um, just enjoying. And you've been on the show now for well over 10 oh, years. Well over 10 well years. Over 10 years. Yeah. And the ever-popular Josh Cantro joins us. Uh, thank you for having me again, Bruce. Uh, Josh Cantro, I'm a, a Republican and a pro-Israel activist and uh, a cybersecurity and privacy attorney. And I uh, always love being on this show. You're a Jewish conservative Republican. Jewish in conservative Chicago. Republican so you in have Chicago. a caucus of about three people to get Yeah, together. yeah. I know. I, yeah. Well, you know what? There's actually a lot more, but they're uh, they're in the closet, so so to speak. Um, they, <laughs> so to they, speak, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I won't touch that. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, just a, a couple of mentions. Uh, uh, as you may have read, if you live in the Chicagoland area, the Museum of Broadcast Communications uh, is downsizing. And what that means is that if you have not come down to see Saturday Night Live, the experience, it's only going to be here for another couple of weeks. March 31st, it closes forever. It is a phenomenal exhibit. If you've not come down to see it, you've got a few, uh, a few weeks uh, later to, uh, left to do it. And in the course of uh, preparing for what is happening next year, I've had to go through uh, tons and tons of boxes, personal, professional, museum-related history, and it's been a very uh, challenging for those Facebook friends, uh, as I've shared some of my thoughts. It's, it's really quite a... It's uh, it's quite a stressful experience when you're going through and you're yeah. sorting through and you're passing yeah. things out, things that are part of your life. But I found a few things that I thought our guests would be interested. First of all, since we have four political people, I'm going to give you all a Dumont button. Now, this Dumont button was when I ran for the state senate oh, yeah. Yeah, back in 1970, and there's a blue one and there's a black one, so I'm going <laughs> to pass these out, <laughs> two to each great. side. So oh, you have thanks. the, Hot if you save those, either. by the way, if you save them, they're not likely to Joyce. be worth too much we can because that. I have, I'll even though, <laughs> what, are you, you're figuring out which one you want? You want the blue or the black? Yeah. Okay. Well, I still have some of your old anniversary buttons. Well, so the I'll anniversary put... buttons, that's another thing. So I threw yeah. about several hundred of them away as well. But yeah. these are collector's items. There's, there's just a few, there's just a few hundred left. And that's after throwing oh, hundreds <laughs> away. And I also found some interesting bumper stickers, oh, wow. and I'm going to give this one to um, I'm going to give this to Mike Carbonaggi. This says <laughs> the checks <laughs> registered their guns. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. we're going to yeah, give that to go. you, and then to uh, our good friend uh, Mr. Beverly, I'm going to give this uh, bumper sticker, which says oh. here is socialism. <laughs> Boom. And this, by the yeah. way, that's based on John F. Kennedy's perception. So you know how long wow. that is. And to Josh Cantrow, 
I'm going, since he referenced that he is Jewish, I'm going to give him a 1964 Goldwater Miller mm. uh, t- bumper sticker. There we go. In your go. heart, you knew he was right. Yes. And again, uh, I'm going to, this goes back, this is more oh. Illinois politics. Yeah. But again, he was governor for 16 years. I'm going to give you a big, big oh. John Thompson, oh. Thompson, Thompson for governor. Oh. All right. Or oh, not bumper, but a like bumper that. sticker. Yeah. So those, uh, th- those are your, your parting <laughs> gifts for this evening. And again, yeah. Uh, we'll see what we have for our guests next week because we have, <laughs> I have a lot of stuff left that I've only got a, I've only got a few more weeks to get rid of it. By the way, let me mention this. By the way, let me first of all say it's uh, if the, uh, the, the uh, Twitter handle is at Dumo, and this is kind of serious. If you are a political collector of big items, posters, things of that nature, not campaign buttons because I'm going to keep those. But if you are a collector of other sort of political memorabilia, let me know because literally I am in the process of getting rid of a lot of stuff that might be uh, important to you. I mean, how many people have a Hiram Fong for president uh, sign? Uh, You don't have that many of those around. But do let me know. uh, And again, just drop me a note to add Dumo and uh, we will be in touch and we'll talk political memorabilia. Anyway, back to our discussion. I want to just finish up on, on what we can do, if, if anything, or what the next step should be, because there's been some references here as to what the, you know, the, the major tech companies should, should be doing. Is this a bipartisan thing? Do Republicans and Democrats, Josh, do you feel this is important too? I, I do. I think it, it probably is a bipartisan thing, sort of like the, uh, the recent crime bill that was signed was bipartisan, and I would hope that this would be as well. Right. I want to get back to an issue that is near and dear to your heart, and that is uh, anti-Semitism, because we're talking about anti-Semitism or the experience of anti-Muslimism uh, or white supremacy that uh, came out of the story in uh, in New Zealand. Um, do you believe that that is on the rise? And if so, why? I do believe it's on the rise. The statistics show that it's on the rise. And uh, why it's on the rise... Uh, I don't know, but it's coming uh, like it u- usually does from the right and from the left. And it's a real problem. Um, and I th- think that what we were talking about in the last segment, social media has something to do with it. It spreads the virus easier. Um, it's quicker. Um, but I-, I don't know exactly why it's happening, but it concerns me that we have members of Congress who, um, you know, have, have been condemned as anti-Semites. Do you, do you believe when you look at the comments of uh, uh, the representative from Minnesota uh, and, and you look at her comments, do you believe that those comments are anti-Semitic, all the comments that she made, that they're anti-Semitic? Yes, I do, because she's using anti-Semitic tropes to assert dual loyalty against Jews. She is uh, saying things that have always been used against Jews and saying that Jews cannot be loyal to the United States and Israel. And quite frankly, this has been going on for some time. The defense of her has been offered that, well, she's a Somali immigrant and we have to give her a break. She's not from this culture. She's actually been here for 20 plus years. And there was a very disheartening article run by the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune uh, 
interviewing some of her progressive, Jewish progressive backers who came out of meetings with her when she was a state representative trying to educate her on anti-Semitism and you can't say these things, and she just didn't get it. Do you think they're anti-Semitic, Phil? There, there are some statements that are anti-Semitic, and I, I think it becomes important for us to distinguish what is a, a legitimate criticism of Israel and its politics and what is anti-Semitic. And I, I think sometimes it gets conflated, which for me makes us have to think much more critically about what's being said and take a breath and go, no, wait a second, is that or isn't it? before just sort of blurting out things, especially the, the, the tropes that Josh talks about. It's like, really? You, you didn't know that? No, we don't know. That's, one, well, it's but, not true, and, but two, it just perpetuates one the of problem. Her, one of her concerns is when she talked about the Benjamins, she was repeating something which a lot of people have felt or been stated for a long time, and that is the power of APEC, the Jewish lobby that a lot of money goes in that, and they spread their money out to members of Congress, and they support Israel. And she's raising the question, Does it, along with the money that's been given out to members of Congress, does, do, do they get a, a free pass on, uh, on, on supporting Israel? Well, you know, I, I think we, we have to roll it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, her comments, uh, the, her comments and what, what she's most criticized for are, are things that, aren't really have to do with Israel, but they have to do that are, it's the comments that are purely anti-Semitic. But, you know, stepping aside a little bit, we, we're looking at, and, and this is where we, we turn this political now, um, we're looking at a, a party, the Democratic <clears throat> Party, which has had a really hard time. You know, all these comments about Donald Trump doesn't say enough against, you know, these crazy right-wing nuts and so on. Those kinds of criticism is also against the Democrats. I mean, we're looking at a party that allowed Louis Farrakhan's comments, which are clearly anti-Semitic, to be brushed under the rug. And now we've got a a full-blown member of Congress who is somehow being excused or, you know, nobody's denouncing her with the same fervor that they're asking Donald Trump to do. So what I find is the interesting double standard, but we're also looking at a history of a party that has not been significantly pro-Israel and now has an anti-Semitic problem. I think Mike Carbonacci has a comment on that. Yeah, I would just say welcome to the party. I mean, we, we've for 20 years we've had to watch Steve King of Iowa say some of the most hateful, uh, prejudicial statements. And I don't know what line he crossed, but thank God the Republican Party realized he had crossed the line. What uh, what the what the congressman from Minnesota said was completely wrong. The dual loyalty trope as a Catholic, we've been hearing since John F. Kennedy was running for president, he's going to take his marching orders from the Pope. That is a prejudicial, hate-filled line that we've used. Now, unfortunately, it's a dog whistle that's come out with the Internet as more than a dog whistle. When we come back, we'll talk more. 1-800-723-8289. Before we leave you tonight, we'll be talking about John McCain and Donald Trump. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. 
We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back on the air. Let's go to George listening to us in El Paso on KTSM. Go ahead, George. Uh, first, I want to say uh, happy thank uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. I hope there isn't any presidential candidate out there who is wearing the green. But um, the reason I called was because I think that the remarks that have been made um, from Minnesota with regards to the congresswoman, yes. that she needs to be uh, broadly conscientious of the fact that um, Israel, it actually seems to have a chair of um, thought in the United States um, House of um, representatives where she sits, if not in the Senate, and that uh, she needs to think that uh, just as her interests are residing in the House with regards to her election, that those also reside in the House with regards to those who are elected by those interests. And uh, she has no reason to complain about how those interests get into the House, just as no one has any reason to complain about the way her interests have got into the House either. Yeah, I, I agree with the, the, po- the point, but, but I would say that um, Israel is pr- pr- very broadly supported in America, and I think that a lot of time APAC's uh, role is o- overstated. APAC doesn't contribute at all to, uh, to congressional campaigns. It can't by law. It's more of an educational arm. They do a great job of taking Congress members over to Israel and educating them there and on the issues here. So that's, that's one point I would What add. about, uh, thanks very much for your call. You're welcome, thank you. What about those that would argue is that she is a representative of the people, of her people, I uh, would we'll cut that line off, uh, but she's a representative of her people and back in, in her district, uh, she may be representing the positions of those people that sent her to Washington. And so, the, so there's, there's two ways to represent. One, is exactly that, that mm-hmm. you just represent and become a mouthpiece for constituents. The right. other that is obviously more difficult is that you take a more principled position against your constituents, but the right position. And so she had the opportunity to, to be more principled and didn't. So if you want to say, yes, yeah, she's just representing those voices in, in her district, okay, that's fine. And could she have done that differently? And I would say that she could have done that differently. Yeah, and that's, uh, to Phil's point exactly, she, she, need, she needed to take the opportunity, if that was the case, to lead her own constituents. To not think- follow their worst instincts, perhaps, but to lead them. Mm-hmm. Is, is this issue going to be one that's going to stick around and become part of the 2020 campaign, Mike? In other words, her, candidates her- representing yes. the Democratic Party are going to have right. to respond to questions about her or, or other things that may flare up between now and Election Day, either that she says or uh, that uh, uh, AOC says, 
that uh, they're going to be put on the defensive. I think this country is going to be dealing because of New Zealand and because of the Tree of Life shooting in Pittsburgh and because of the Sikh attack in Wisconsin and Steve King's comments and her comments. We're going to be having a large discussion that, again, is a bipartisan problem we've got to deal with is how do we rise above our, our baser instincts and lead this country? Um, the reason why the extremes exist is they feel that they have been wronged by someone. Mm-hmm. There may be hatred in their heart that may have started a childhood, but they feel that they've been wronged by someone. <clears throat> is there anything that society can do or media can do to basically explain to those who feel like they've been left out by society uh, to give them a hearing or to, to give them some sense that at least they've been listened to in a, in a meaningful way uh, so that it doesn't become a, uh, a rallying point for similar hatred uh, by those that follow them on the Internet. I think that's a great point, and that gets back to our use of resources mm. at DOJ and Homeland Security and otherwise. After 9-11, they did a lot of work of identifying the profile of someone who would become a terrorist. Um, we need to take a look at somebody who takes their ideas again in a chat room online. I don't know if people even use the phrase chat rooms. Conversation online and how that gets to a shooting how that gets to action. And again, you know, these tech companies need to be at a partner on that. I mean, th- this is their business, and I think law enforcement needs to work with them to, to your point, identify the characteristics of somebody who starts that way. They're a victim, and they're looking for other people who are victims and how that gets put into well, so, so we're talking about the Internet, and that's, that's great, and, and we've had a good discussion on that. But what about the schools? I think the schools have a role to play here to – We've got to reinforce American values in schools. And one of the things that's a big American value is is that we we are open, that we're welcoming, that we are – that that we have lots of different ethnic and religious groups in this country, and that's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. And so I I just wonder if – the public schools and private schools are doing enough on this issue. But, but don't you think there's, a, there's a, a real challenge there that, yes, that sounds good, but then it bumps up against parents who say, well, I don't want you teaching that to my kid. I should tell them about those issues, just like with responsible sex education. No, no, you don't tell them about that. I'll tell them about that. And so then what happens when a vocal minority in a particular district decides that they're going to protest any attempts at diversity, inclusion, that kind of deal? You, you, I mean, you raise a great point. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sounding like yeah. the, the liberal here, and you're giving the yeah. conservative pushback. That, that's a good point. Things should start in the home. The reality is that that's not happening enough in America. So I think we have to bring it to the classroom. Holocaust survivors in the classroom have been a big success. When we come back, we have another full hour. Our thanks to our guests in hour number one. They were so good, they're going to be back by popular demand (laughs) in just a few moments. 1-800-723 is the phone number. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thank you for joining us for hour number one of Beyond the Beltway. After news, for those listening to us on America's great talk radio stations, uh, we will be back with another full hour. And in the next hour... We're going to be talking about an expert in online propaganda. He's going to be looking into ways in which the issue that we've been discussing this evening, how that is being dealt with at the very highest levels of government and throughout the world. You'll want to stay tuned for that. We'll be back in a few minutes. 
Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We, we put, put debt, debt in, in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, Roseanne Polito, who's a regular or frequent guest on this program, she uh, sent us a note uh, reminding everybody that Nigerian uh, Muslims uh, killed 120 Christians over a three-week period, and it doesn't seem to get the media support that what happened in New Zealand, that that's below the media radar. Mm, Um, Speaking of the media radar, let's talk about... One of the media's favorite guys, the late John McCain. <laughs> and the uh, president uh, tweeted about John McCain because uh, the, uh, the, the, the Steele dossier uh, got into the hands of one of John McCain's key aides. Uh, he shared that information with John McCain, who took allegedly 30 pages of it, and sent it over to the FBI. This was in 19, uh, 2016. 
And uh, the friend of Mr. McCain's also then sent it to BuzzFeed. And although the mainstream media refused to carry the story because it involved so many salacious things about Donald Trump in this dossier, which been, had, has been cooperated, had been cooperated by no one and hasn't been cooperated by many since, um, it was revealed last week that uh, Senator McCain and his former aide were in receipt of something that was passed on to the FBI, put into the, into the, ultimately into the mainstream media, talking about the salacious aspects of Donald Trump, all unverified, and Donald Trump didn't like it, as you can imagine, and uh, he erupted and uh, challenged John McCain, uh, talking about things that he had done uh, you know, against him by releasing this. He thought it was uh, a disgraceful conduct by Senator McCain, and uh, it brought up the whole subject of Donald Trump's opinion of John McCain, who was held in very high esteem by a lot of people because of his five years as a war hero, uh, being a POW, uh, and it goes back to things that was said by Donald Trump during the campaign about Senator McCain. So that started a, a battle, a vendetta, if you will, uh, by Senator McCain. And I want to ask my, our two Republicans here, uh, John McCain was once uh, at the highest pinnacle of, of American politics, I think, right. in some respect, insofar as respect is concerned, yeah. even though he was rejected by the voters yes. when he ran against yeah. Barack Obama. Josh, what do you think of uh, Senator John McCain now, based on what we were revealed, what was revealed last week? I think uh, John McCain served his country admirably as a uh, war hero and as a uh, senator, but um, I don't I don't like that he he did this. I think that it's um, problematic and troubling. Right. And and I I just it feeds into the narrative that. Um, you know, mainstream Republicans are against Trump, and you, you know well, they are, aren't they? And I think, and I think they are, and I think this just is more proof to Trump's supporters that uh, to his hardcore supporters that uh, the deck is stacked against them. Right. As a, as a, uh, I was a McCain delegate, so um, and uh, you know, uh, back then, I think there was a, a and certainly. Um, before the general election, there was a, a lot of great pride out there for John McCain. I mean, he came from behind to win the nomination, and you know the, his status as a war hero, as someone who had. But the, is, he came is there with any, some baggage. Is there, is there any doubt? I know, but is there any doubt in your mind that the reason that John McCain did everything that he did against Donald Trump, including voting against yeah. uh, the repeal of Obamacare, yeah. was because Donald Trump said very bad things about him? I, in, uh, in, in I don't think it was just that. I think that, sad to say, John McCain made it all personal. And it Always was a did. personal vendetta. It was a personal thing. And, then, and that, that is unlikable in politics when you make uh, it that Phil way. Phil Beverly, can you look at this objectively? Yeah, I guess the question that I ask is, so what happens if he doesn't turn over the pages from the Steele dossier to the FBI in terms of his his own sort of legacy. And it comes out that if the worst thing happens in the end with, with Donald Trump and 
it comes, you come to find out that, yeah, he had this information and he didn't share it with the FBI. What does that look like? Well, it was uncorroborated. I mean, so but, but it's not to... it's not McCain's job to corroborate it, is which it, is why you turn it over the to the people. Is different than leaking it to was BuzzFeed. It the, what, was There's it a huge responsibility? Difference. Was it That's the responsibility true. of his aide, an associate, I should say, it wasn't really aide, was not a coat hangler? Was it responsible for him to take that information and give it to BuzzFeed? with all of the salacious information included in it. That was unnecessary. Because, because that information, it eventually got picked up by the mainstream media. But they had denied it. They wouldn't carry it because it was unverified. They ultimately decided to carry it because BuzzFeed carried it. And, and, and what was in there, the most salacious aspects of that, that have never, ever been proven... They were used by late-night comics. They were used in a, in a, in a derogatory speech, defamatory uh, skit on Saturday Night Live. They took that lock, stock, and barrel as a bona fide fact, and that has led, that has led to where we are today, including the stuff that ultimately went to the FBI uh, to be investigated by James Comey during, be, before he was fired by Donald Trump. And we still don't know if it's been corroborated or not. Because we know it, it hasn't is, been. Isn't it this might have been corroborated, Aren't and we? you don't know, Stephanie. You don't know. This is an ongoing yeah. investigation. It well, may have been so, corroborated and not been revealed so yet. So far, we know. There's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a rule of thumb in media is that certain political leaders get good press because uh, they help out members of the media. John McCain was one of the most popular people in, in recent years – amongst the Washington Press Corps. That's why he was on Meet the Press or, or on one of the Sunday shows virtually every other Sunday for almost, almost five right. years. He was the darling. And I've got to tell you, anyone that's on the air that much is probably, probably feeding dirt right. to other members of the media that may, that may have embarrassed well, Republicans, let me finish, and the, and the idea of getting some dirt, it's like a 16-year-old gossip. They got dirt... And he couldn't wait to get it out. Now, again, he took the high road and said, well, I'm going to share it with the FBI. And his aide sent it to BuzzFeed, which started the whole controversy about the Steele dossier, which was created and paid for by Hillary Clinton's campaign. Now... Am I the what? only one at this table that is outraged by that? Mike, are you outraged at all? I, You're a Democrat. I, 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 I can't get into what – I mean, we, John Cain's not here to explain himself or defend himself. The, and, and his AIDS act of giving it to the press. I will say that John McCain in particular seems to have gotten under Donald Trump's skin more than most people. And I think that the fact that this – had vice versa. Well, I, I was going to say, yeah. But, and vice versa. And I, and I do – know that if not no but i just suspect that if john mccain did this he was doing it because he thought it was best for his party and maybe no he thought it was best what was for john mccain and sadly and here's the thing he thought he was the media darling until he actually ran for president and then he realized he wasn't the media darling and what they did to him and sarah palin is beyond and yet he still kept going back to them he wanted their approval for so long and i think what we saw at the end unfortunately was his bitterness made him a thor- not just a thorn in Donald Trump's side, and he only did it because he was against Donald Trump. It wasn't but for the, the good. the media loved him and loves him. They That's loved right. him, yeah. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. 
Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. And again, uh, one issue that we've not touched, and, and really I think it really is a big political issue. I want to get everybody's reaction, and that is the college admissions scandal. Mm. It's something that everybody oh. is talking about, whether you're Republican, Democrat, young, old. Uh, you've got an opinion on this. Yeah. Uh, let's start with you, uh, Stephanie. I have an incredibly strong opinion because <laughs> I'm in the throes of it. I have two in college, one about to go to college, you know, one about to apply to college, and one. Oh. And did you so make I'm any throwing. donations to anybody? Yeah, no kidding. Did you? Darn, hire a I did this wrong. <laughs> I will. I will say this, and this is this is everybody I know is talking about this, and um, I can't even go to the grocery store without it. Um, and that is. We all have, I think we all have accepted to some degree that there are at, at, at elite colleges and not even so elite, but at, you know, um, colleges around the world, um, there are kids that get in as legacies or children of celebrities renowned because these colleges are businesses. They understand that there's a flow of money they need to have. And, and by rewarding families who have been legacies or whatever, or bringing in wealth, there is an understanding and a, a general acceptance that that is part of the business of running a college. That if you have a kid that comes in that maybe isn't quite as qualified, what that kid is bringing in is maybe the family's financial support. What we see in those instances are scholarships, building renovations, the sports teams supported, things like that. Things that people actually benefit from in the college community. What I think is blowing most people's minds on this is that this was for nothing but personal, pure gain. This money went right into the pockets of coaches. And I think this goes, this really, we all feel like there's a game out there, cards are stacked, it's a kind of a crapshoot, and the but it goes to the fact that There's this no crap is shoot. so undermined in a way that violates, I mean, che- actual cheating yeah. in tests. Phil, you work at a college. What's your take? I'm not appalled, and I'm appalled. <laughs> um, and the thing that strikes me most about this is that the children of elites, and these are elites, the ones who least need access to elite universities because you go to elite universities not necessarily for the education but for the social and and professional networks that you're going to build. They don't need those networks. There are black and brown children who can change their family's trajectory for generations who now are going to be denied those opportunities because of this. And that's what's so galling to me. white students. Right. And poor, poor white students who can change the trajectory of their family from 
rural areas from from urban areas. Like, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, like I, um, I've got two kids, twelve and fourteen. My, just like Philip said. It is a zero-sum game. Every seat that's taken by somebody who cheats their way in is a seat that went out to somebody who stayed in on the weekends to study, prepped for the SAT, put their nose to the grindstone. And I just think about all these kids who are waitlisted at USC. What are they right. thinking about right now? I mean, what, what is their what message? And, and, and what, what does this say yeah. about our society? Right. This right. Re- reveals a sickness in our society at the very highest echelons, and, and, and it encourages yeah. more cheating because if – People think right. the game is rigged against them. They're going to cheat. They have as to well. adapt well, to cheat and themselves. But, but, right. exactly. Philip, but Philip touched on something very interesting, and and um, and that is, he mentioned that college is a a source of social connection, social networking, yeah. sort of that step up, which is very interesting because when we're talking about merit, what we're talking about are people going to college to seek an education. And maybe, you know, we're, maybe we're changing what we think colleges are there for. But at the end of the day, if a college is there to educate your child, to teach them to think better, think critically, to parse through, learn history, all those things that education is for, then, then yes, there's that meritocracy and that's the argument. But now we're, we're now saying college is something different than that. And, and, but it, it but it's been something different, really Stephanie. That's the scary. problem. It's troubling. I no, but, but it has because been. it's a job factory. It's what job it's do I get? It's a social network as, factory. As the, at some places, it's that. Not at every place. Right. Well, yes. Do, do you get what I'm moment, saying? Right. At this moment, at this moment in time, you have colleges and admission people right. and the elite right. up here, and you have an enraged media and an enraged populace on this oh, yes. below the elite level. And my question to you as a political experience, does this in 2020, Josh Cantro, is this an issue that President Trump can use? Because anti-elitism was one of the major tenets of his success in 2016. Is this another, is this another opportunity for him especially when you're talking about a U.S. attorney from Massachusetts going after elite Hollywood stars not known for their affection for the president, is this a perfect opportunity for him to take this issue and do something with and, 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 and have come up with corrective action and being seen as the champion of those who were run over by the elites. It's a great issue for him. It's a perfect issue. <laughs> it's a for, great issue for anybody other than Donald Trump. Yeah. Other than Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Not talking about Mr. Billionaire? Bootstraps. Uh, oh, Do- unless Trump he gets rid of Jared Kushner as his son-in-law, Trump who went Trump to Harvard can, because his old man gave two and a half million dollars off. The question was to me. Donald Trump cannot take us to the shack in Louisiana and show that. I think I've brought up an issue for 2020. But it's a great issue for a populist, okay? Right. And the, the, Bernie the Sanders. Point is, the, but the yeah. point is, is yeah. that all you say is true. He grew up rich and all that, but he won on an anti-elite message. That's and, the point. That's right. And that is the which, point. Which four years and, later may not be replicable. let's not forget this. This is something really important, and that is 
Um, one thing that he has on his anti-elitist message is he has hit a, 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 a strong nerve with people who are hardworking, who roll up their sleeves. I mean, he really did get the blue-collar vote. And so what we're talking about is he can relate to, and this is how he can counter many of these Democratic hopefuls, and we can get into that later, is that if what – what we're saying is you can get into college on a veneer. College is a veneer. It's a it's it's about how you present yourself. It's your social connections. It's this. And he and he has basically said you get to college by hard work. One of the things that people supported Donald Trump was is he's not a traditional politician. He is a man who actually built something. He's a businessman. Do but, not but forget he, that element. But if he, but if he says that. Work and doing something and proving okay. success. I've got to let our Democrats talk. Who amongst the Democratic field could best make that case? I was going to say, there's a, there's a number of people, I think, on our side, the Democratic side, who could do it. I will say that, that um, let's separate real quick. The folks who did this, uh, that we've seen, these celebrities, they committed a crime. I mean, this, yes. it's very yes. different than yeah. saying, I mean, they literally, uh, allegedly, the allegedly, 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 allegedly yeah, they are purported to have committed a crime. Quite what a, it's yeah. opening the door to, and I think Philip talked about it, is a discussion of the class divide. Because to your point, hard work doesn't get you there. Private tutors does. Private SAT yes. training does. Uh, pro- study abroad programs do. Not a, if you have access to resources and money and good school systems, you have a better chance of getting Northwest. That, that is the anti-elite message real and believable on the Democratic side? Can uh, Beto well, O'Rourke? I don't. Well, think well we can got do fifteen it. at this time, so well, who knows know. by the end of the but show who I else? D- will be I don't know that, who that, worked hard. I don't know that politicians in this era can can honestly make that argument because they're elites by nature of where they're at. These aren't people that necessarily have to have to work paycheck to paycheck. Donald, well, right? Donald Trump well, has stepped on the elites. Well, I would, Bruce, I will say a couple names jump to mind. You Camilla, don't believe that? He's, he stepped I, on the elites yeah, to get he, elected. I think he continues to step on and, the elites. And when he, he, when he hides time. his grades, his admission, his academic that record. Means, that means right? he, he shouldn't have gotten in. I don't know <laughs> yeah. that it means he shouldn't have gotten in. I think it leads to another question being able to be asked, is he the right guy to say that? Now, does he have a surrogate on the trail who can say that for him? Is Kellyanne Conway the best person to say? Maybe she's the best person to say that. But him getting $450 million purportedly from his old man over the course of his life to start his life? Yeah, I think I'd be doing pretty good if I got $450 million from my old man. You I would. believe it was only You know, right. and to answer your question, just, and just yeah. spitballing it here, I could see someone like Camilla Harris or Cory Booker saying the Department of Education right now should be looking at how do we provide support for low-income students who want to take SAT prep courses, have access to private tutors, really level that playing field so that everybody is apples to apples when you're a college applicant. Betsy DeVote can't really be that person to do that. Donald Trump really can't be that honest spokesperson for that. So those are just some names and some ideas. I think you're right. I, I think right. the two uh, African Americans who are running for president at the, at the moment are the ones most likely to be able to make that case. And it has to be it ha- it has to be a real proposal, an idea to fix a problem. Because on our side, we're looking at people who come with proposals and ideas, and not just throwing things out there. Going, but if He's the, bad. even yeah. if we but don't if the like the proposal, but if the president were if he were to create some presidential commission, focus a, a blue 
Blue Ribbon, Blue Ribbon Commission, Blue Ribbon Commission right, to look at it could and let this. them go by, go out, you know, announce this commission, let them do their work, and then come back with some recommendations that he would follow up on. Then that is a way to address the issue. And I think it's an issue that, that frankly, Republicans and Democrats would like to see addressed because I think this is this is one of these sort of hot button issues. But he's, but he's got a problem. Everybody. He's got a problem with commissions because that last one about oh, yes. voter fraud seemed to have gone exactly nowhere, and so I don't have he's a lot of trust that he's gonna crisis. gonna do it he the can right do way. It with the educational Just making crisis. a suggestion. Yeah. May not, may not and he's probably watching yeah. right now. So if you're watching, Mr. I'm President, Bruce is available. <laughs> All I'm trying Open to do for is you. generate ideas. For 39 years, I'm just trying to solve issues here every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, we'll talk about propaganda Absolutely. on the internet. Don't go away. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast that we are going to uh, share with you this evening or share the airwaves uh, with an expert on information warfare. This is a gentleman that has, uh, he wrote the seminal paper on, uh, for NATO on online propaganda and with all that's going on in the world about propaganda and also the use of the Internet and whether the, the dark Internet and how, uh, how devastating it beca- can become to rally uh, at least uh, uh, questionable uh, individuals from around the world, uh, some who are a little bit out there on the violence stage. Uh, we're inviting back an old friend of this program, Jeff Giesing. Jeff, nice to have you with us. Uh, I've, I've given your brief introduction. We'll talk more about it as the interview flows. You're joining us from Washington, D.C. this evening. But what is your reaction to all of the post-New Zealand controversy about the Internet and, and maybe the need to govern the in- Internet to be able to stop shooters from finding like-minded believers around the world? We're not hearing uh, your microphone. On the speaker. Uh, keep going. Go ahead. Try it again. We got a little problem with our speaker. Go ahead. No, we are not hearing Jeff. He looks great on Skype, <laughs> but we are not hearing him. Um, he can hear us though. Uh, we're, what we're going to do, uh, Fritz, we'll continue our conversation here, and uh, then uh, if Jeff wants or can join us, just uh, let me know when he can speak, and we will uh, add this to the program. This is, uh, this is live radio and TV. We've not edited this so that this error can be shared. We're sharing it with you uh, live on no radio. Delay. So uh, l- let's, go, let's go back to, to the subject that, again, we discussed at the beginning of the broadcast, and then when Jeff uh, joins us, we can... Uh, uh, bring them into the conversation, but uh, this is uh, this is the serious issue of what can be done to s- tap down the internet so we can stop people like the shooter in uh, New Zealand from being able to be uh, to talk with other people and to be inspired by them and perhaps to inspire others. I guess the the cautionary tale I would offer here is is from uh, popular culture. And that was um, Minority Report. We talked earlier about the the tech companies having some responsibility here, but I would hate to see that responsibility swing so far into sort of the big data area where it becomes predictive to the point that our rights get infringed upon because we have some percentage probability that violence is going to happen because of this user, and then suddenly the FBI is kicking somebody's door in, 
because they had a bad day. And the tech companies go, well, our algorithms told us, our big data told us to, that it would predict this. It, it, so, it's a human thing. Right. right. And what you're raising is a great point. It's, it's privacy. It's the right to privacy versus the right, the duty that governments have to protect individual citizens. But there's another issue here. We're talking about Facebook. Facebook is in virtually every country in the world or most countries in the world now. Maybe not China, maybe a few others. What, I mean, what law governs? What law governs this um, type of situation here? Right, whose speech and, laws, and, whose and First place, Amendment laws yeah. do. And Josh, you brought up China. I mean, they've, we've seen work and go when it goes wrong. They've set up a new system that I think is going live later this summer where every citizen will get basically a credit score based upon, you know, where they travel, what books they read, how they use mass transit, how much energy they use at home. Right. It's all going to go a, into a, a credit score. It's a social credit score. And, and, wow. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, Jeff. Are you yeah. back? Hey, Jeff. He's back, yeah. Are you there? Yes, hi. Can okay. you hear me? I can now hear you, and uh, we can yeah. hear you, and we can see you. Welcome, Jeff. Yes. Welcome. So here's my, here's my question to you. G- give me a short uh, take on your reaction to what happened in New Zealand and the international reaction denouncing the use of Facebook Live and other forms of communication this shooter had. Um. Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me. It's great to see you, Bruce. Um, I'm getting a little bit of, uh, I'm not hearing this as, as easily, so forgive me if I don't answer perfectly. But um, obviously, it was, a, it was a, a grave tragedy what happened. This was somewhat unique in that it was almost a, a, a troll that spilled into real life, where he, you know, this guy was radicalized in 8chan and, and darker corners of the internet and, and kind of took that into the real world with this almost ironic sensibility and wrote his manifesto. And from a psychological warfare and propaganda standpoint, he really knew what he was doing and thought through it. And in many respects, we've been playing into the the playbook that I think he set in motion for us through his manifesto, which is kind of inevitable. So it's been, it's been a real mess uh, in the wake of this tragedy. Um, but at the same time, I think there are different people are chipping away at at the issue in different ways and I think there's a lot more uh, of a rapid OODA loop, a learning uh, uh, loop around these types of situations now today than there was uh, two or three years ago. There's also a deeper understanding I think of internet culture Mm -hmm. and uh, and some of the analyses that I've been reading on that have been much better. Uh, And then in terms of shutting down the internet or how do we you know, do we not mention his name? Do we not post the video? Do we share the manifesto? I think those issues are, are really still being ironed out. Uh, Philip Beverly has a question for you. He's a professor at Chicago State. Hi, Jeff. Um, you mentioned radicalization of this uh, New Zealand offender. Is the radicalization process sort of universal, say, with uh, radical Islamic uh, fundamentalist and white nationalist and along the, the continuum of, of people. So there, and I asked the question, so is there a, a larger sort of way to, to get all of them? Or are they sort of unique? Uh, that's a great question. There is a, they, they all have the similar characteristic in that I would call it stochastic terrorism inspired by online uh, propaganda and signifiers. 
So they're, they're, they're similar in structure and then different in form. Um, so uh, somebody in theory could be uh, radicalized into Islamism and kind of ISIS ideology through online chat rooms and so forth, and then without any instructions from anybody, carry out uh, an act of terrorism. In, in this case, it's sort of similar where there, there isn't a coordination or organization but somebody could get radicalized online and then have that spill out into the real world. And in theory, any foreign adversary, any movement globally could use the same playbook. So this, this issue isn't just about white nationalism. It's really about the structure of, of um, terrorism in the 21st century. To, to what extent, uh, when people are communicating online, maybe for, uh, uh, for a, a goal of creating some form of violence. Okay, so they're communicating with each other. Who is observing, who is watching and, and reviewing what's going on, and at what point do they say, aha, we have to stop this, or there's something, uh, there's something going wrong here that we should act on? So that is up to the different platforms. So right now we have platforms in different different locations around the world. I think a good example of this is is Gab. Uh, Gab is a site very similar to tw- uh, to Twitter, and you may recall the the guy who shot ten or eleven people in the Tree of Life synagogue in in Pittsburgh posted on Gab just before then, and Gab says that it abides by all U.S. laws. It, it positions itself as a free speech platform, and it cooperates with all authorities and so forth. Um, and yet it still kind of has all these other elements of, um, you know, cesspool language and so forth. So, uh, so I think it's up to individual platforms to uh, monitor themselves on the one hand, and then there's a legal, uh, legal compliance situation where, Gab, for example, being based in America, has to obey uh, U.S. laws and, and willingly does so. But we're moving towards an era where, you know, conceivably some of these platforms will be beyond, be beyond the reach of any government and any uh, law enforcement agency. So, so 8chan, for example, I don't know where that's based exactly. I believe the ownership is in Japan. I'm not sure. That, don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so it's really up to the platforms to monitor this stuff. I think governments are getting smarter about managing and monitoring the information environment. But pretty soon we'll move to an era where I think communication will will take place in in, in uh, beyond the reach of governments and the law. Are you worried about what happens next in the wake of New Zealand and the investigations and the conversations uh, that will follow? What do I think will happen next? Yeah. What, are you worried about it? Are you worried about anything? Yes. I, I mean, I think I worry about a couple of things. One is I worry about an overreaction to this because I, I, I'm, I personally am against a lot of the censorship, and I, I believe strongly in civil discourse and in freedom of speech. So I think there's a risk of overreactioning from that standpoint. I think there's a risk of playing into the playbook that this the shooter wanted, which is accelerating the uh, civil strife happening across the West and that that kind of dialectic of violence, you could say. And then I also worry about the, um, this could become more common with more destructive technology. 
we haven't seen this with bioweapons, for example. Like, imagine this guy with bioweapons. That's what we need to be thinking about. When we come back, we're going to pause for some breaks, and then when we come back, uh, we'll let other questions from our guests. And I've got a few more for you as well. We're talking to Jeff Giesing. He joins us from Washington, D.C. this evening. He is an expert on online propaganda. Back shortly from Chicago and D.C. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. We continue in Chicago with our guests and also uh, Jeff Giza, who joins us from Washington. Uh, Jeff, uh, obviously there are many ideologies that are using the Internet uh, to uh, move forward their own beliefs. Is there a, and a similar goal that I would think that some would have would be just general chaos, just you know, a rage against Anarchy. governments right. everywhere. Is there any evidence that forces left of center or right of center are having any sort of combination discussions as to how they could join together and really wreak havoc? Well, I think there is a, you know, foreign adversaries like Russia have entire schools of propaganda based on, based on, uh, you know, cleaving, you know, causing those divisions and, accelerating our, and exacerbating our tensions and accelerating our conflict. China has a China also is increasingly mm-hmm. thinking about this stuff. I mean it's it's unrestricted warfare mindset. So foreign governments are one potential source of people who want to come in and amplify uh, all of the tension and conflicts in the wake of crisis events. We see a lot of disinformation actors as well emerging in the immediate aftermath of crisis events like a mass shooting. Um, you may recall various disinformation after the Orlando shooting, after the Las Vegas shooting, and other incidents like that. It's a very sensitive period, the immediately, immediate time after that. In, in terms of different political movements, I mean, I think, you know, I think different ideologies naturally want to score points against others, and so there's a risk of, of events like this being weaponized, for example, to put... You know, anybody who talks about immigration or multiculturalism on the defensive now, oh, you have blood in your hands, you're responsible for this. We saw even a version of that with with Chelsea Clinton. Um, I think a lot of that's just sort of cheap um, political, um, 
you know, politi taking political shots. Um, in terms of formally stirring up tension, I, I haven't seen as much movement activity around that. Uh, that being said, there is a school of thought that's both on the left and on the right called accelerationism, which means we, you know, we're all going to hell, let's accelerate it and get to what's next. And there were notes of that mindset in, in the shooter's manifesto. Um, so I think that's something does that, for us to think does, about as a society. Does that manifest itself in a desire by some of these folks to really foment a race war? That they're looking for a, a race-based conflict? Um, well, I think that... To degree, yes. Um, I mean, I think that there, there, there's there are ongoing issues that are legitimate issues and grievances in the West that I think we're all grappling with. Um, you know, and there's a sense that the West system is cracking in some ways, right? This kind of neoliberalism combined with open immigration, what they call in, in, invade the world, invite the world, and, and so forth. And I, I think we're seeing some of the um, flaws in it, and, and the reaction is... Uh, emerged in the populist right with Trump and Brexit and, and Orban and Salvini and, and Bolsonaro. And now it's starting to happen on the left as we're seeing more more socialist-leaning candidates. You could put AOC in that ca camp and maybe uh, Corbyn and people like that. Um, so I think there are, there's a natural um, bubbling up of issues that we're, we're grappling with in the West that, that's very, that's, that is, um, and there's kind of this underlying ideological issue of uh, open borders and multiculturalism against people who believe in sovereignty and, 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 a, and a certain identity of their country and perceive that as being under threat. Add to that an economic and social situation where we have an increasing number of unmarried young men whose prospects have gone down relative, you know, since from their dads, whose you know wages have not increased. They have more debt, healthcare costs a lot more, and they see lots of changes demographically and so forth in the, in the company. And I think that cohort uh, is starting to lose faith in the system. And that's where there's real danger of those people, um, you know, radicalizing and embracing an ideology that says we're kind of America's sort of screwed anyway, or the West is screwed anyway. Let's just burn it all down, and then we can start from the ashes. And and I think that's it's really dangerous when that becomes rational for people. Stephanie well, Kidd has a question. It's interesting because you're, you're talking about basically two different levels of information that's competing out there. One is this war of ideologies, um, and that's, you know, that, you know, we have this multiculturalism and these battles about immigration and so on. But then you've also got it like a different level, and that is the, the person who is actually going out there to do, to find a way to do actual harm to people, not just to stir, ferment um, trouble, but to actually go out there and to take action. Um, is there any sense that there is an international standard among governments to sort of separate those two and to be able to find a way to isolate the, the truly dangerous, the, the lone wolves out there, the people that actually are going to go out on their own and do something terrible? 40 and, seconds. And how do we communicate with governments on that? 40 seconds for the answer, Jeff. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a terrific point, and we need to be very proactive at catching people when it converts into violence. And political violence, uh, no matter any per political perspective, is absolutely wrong. 
And so we really need to be aggressive in countering the violent forms of this extremism. And we also need to be careful of not over-labeling, painting, painting with too broad a brush. That will backfire big time. We need civil discourse. It's really our only way out of this. Jeff Giza, I want to thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and, and opinions. Hopefully, uh, we can have you back on this program again uh, to continue uh, sharing your thoughts with our audience. And also, the next time you're in Chicago, we'd love to have you around the, uh, the Red Roundtable here in Chicago. Thanks very much, Jeff Giza, joining us tonight from Washington, D.C. I want to thank Mike Carbonacci and Phil Beverly on the left side of my panel. On the right side, Stephanie Hitt and Josh Cantro. We thank you very much for joining us. On this St. Patrick's Day edition of Beyond the Beltway, our thanks to Fritz Goldman and Sam Greenberg for their assistance in the production of this program. Until next week, this is Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. for what's right helping out when things go wrong seeking the truth and speaking our minds not just making records but breaking them leading the way behind the camera beyond the runway and on the silver screen not just making our mark but making a difference now that's a job for a girl scout girl scouts preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership it's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We, we put, put debt, debt in, in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. 
Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv.